1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Well, we are less than a week away from the start of the NFL draft, and coming up, I'm going to give you my mock draft that it takes you through at least the Eagles pick at number 12 because really once the eagles are done picking in the first round you don't really care about what happens the rest of the no of course you do but we're only going to go through the first 12 so we can get you that eagles pick in the first round and see what's going to be left on the board at least as far as i can tell by the time the eagles pick at number 12 also uh the sports books are out there and uh we'll get you the odds on who vegas thinks the eagles are going to take with their first round selection plus I want to play a couple of cuts from Nick Sirianni's news conference with Andy Weidel and Howie Roseman earlier this week and weigh in on, uh, well, what some of Nick Sirianni had to say. Obviously, he's been a little bit of a lightning rod of criticism in the instances in which he's spoken up. And I wrote a piece for BleedingGreenNation.com this week that I want to expound on just a little bit. So we'll do all that coming up here in the next few minutes on Eye on the Enemy. But first... The draft, and this is probably the most important draft of Howie Roseman's tenure. And I don't know if Nick, if uh, Howie Roseman is drafting for his job. I was asked that question when I was on the ninety-four WIP morning show uh, earlier this week. Is Howie Roseman drafting for his job? Because I know a lot of people heard the the fire Howie chance at the Phillies game earlier this week, and you know, I think if the Eagles weren't aware how annoyed and upset and frustrated and angry much of the fan base is at this football team right now, I think maybe they got a little bit more of a taste of it at the Phillies game, but you know, I don't think, I I think the fire Howie chance have been a little bit overblown. Um, I don't know that that's really moving the needle for, for Jeff Lurie a whole lot. So I don't really feel like this is a draft where Howie Roseman is drafting for his job. Now, you can only have so many bad drafts and get away with it, right? I mean, that that's the bottom line. You you can only have so many mistakes in the first and second round with your draft picks before it eventually comes back to bite you in the rear end. But The trade Howie made moving down from number six to number 12 certainly indicates that he feels like he's not going anywhere for a while, that it was not imperative to him that they land that true superstar player here in the first round. This year, and I think that they also do feel like that they have a collection of position players that they're comfortable taking at number twelve. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast last week. I really hope the Eagles are able to jump in front of the Cowboys and the Giants and uh, move into the top ten once again. Just because I don't want to pick behind the, the the Giants and the Cowboys again, I, I don't I don't want to lose out on a player that this team really needs because division rivals picked in front of them. And I want to play you something that Peter Schrager on the NFL Network said earlier this week because I thought it was interesting. And at first, I I kind of agreed with him. I understand why lots of folks are upset about the Eagles moving down from number six to number 12 and feel like feel like that last game of the season last year, the game the Eagles tanked where they played Nate Sudfeld the whole game, in order to finish with as high a draft pick as possible, you just, you know, gave that away. And now you're behind the other division rivals that you that you finished in last place. Behind last year, and you finished in last place on purpose. Like that is that it was a purposeful thing that the Eagles wanted to do, and that is so that they could pick as high up in the draft as they could. Listen to what Peter Schrager had to say about it because it it is a little bit interesting.
2: Our Sega White side over DK Metcalf a couple years ago, and that's something that haunts that organization that they miss picks time and time again, which puts the pressure on the general manager. But I want to go back to week 17 where it was Eagles-Washington. If Washington wins, they go to the playoffs. If Washington loses, the Giants go to the mm-hmm. playoffs. And remember, the Eagles put in Sudfeld yep. for Hertz, and they lose the game, and it solidifies them as the sixth overall pick. All right, we've been previewing the draft every day since the day the season ended. There are about six players we talk about a lot. Right. Okay, quarterbacks, they're there, but then you've got your Waddle, you've got your, uh, obviously, your Sewell, and then we talk now Sertan, and, and maybe Chase and Pitts. And there's like a handful of guys. The Eagles had the sixth pick in this draft. They could have gotten one of the stars oh, my of my this mind. draft. And they need a star, to your point. They need star power. They also need to show their fans, we know how to nail this pick. We can get a guy that's going to be a franchise cornerstone, an all-pro. You draft that at six. But then the Eagles made a trade with the Dolphins. They back to 12... Or the 49ers trade... Better, sorry, Dolphins. They trade from six to 12... Mm-hmm. And at the 12th spot, I don't know what you're getting. Maybe you're getting the third tackle. Mm. Maybe you're getting Devontae Smith if two teams pass on him, and that means that two teams said he was too skinny. We don't want him to take him. Like, I find this to be a fascinating draft for the Eagles. They're loading up all these draft picks, and I know we've made a lot about the fact they have 11 draft picks in this draft. Do you know five of them are in the sixth and seventh round, and the mm. likelihood of those guys making the roster are not so great. So they have six draft picks. Basically five. have six, yeah. and they just traded out of a top six pick. I found that trade to be very curious. Huh. They're loading up on a lot of quantity. To your point, I don't know if there's quality, uh-huh. and I wonder if the 12th pick overall, they can still nail that selection and have like an all-pro. At six, I know you can get uh-huh. that guy. Uh-huh. 12, I'm not so uh-huh. sure.
1: But here's the thing that, that Peter doesn't recognize, and at least maybe he's not thinking about, and, and what many Eagles fans are not thinking about. Yes, tanking that game against the against the Washington football team in the final game in the final week of the season, final game of the season. It did move them down further in in the draft obviously. It did move them behind their own division rivals the Cowboys and the Giants. But it also resulted in them getting a first round pick next year. If you would have told me that the Eagles would could lose that game on purpose in exchange for a first round pick Next season I would have made that trade, right? You would have made that trade. You would have you would have made that trade off. The Eagles didn't give away the number of 6 pick for nothing. They didn't move down 6 spots for nothing. They gained a first round pick next season. So it's not like they—you you can't just look at this draft as the only draft the Eagles are ever going to have. And I think that's the thing with Howie Roseman is I think we have to look at this draft as as it's not the last draft that Howie Roseman is ever going to have. I don't think Howie Roseman would have made this move if he felt there was a chance that this is the last draft that he was ever going to have. I don't care how many fire Howie chants there are going up at Phillies games, right? He's not going to—it it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for Jeff Lurie to keep him— and then fire him one year into Nick Sirianni's tenure, a year in which we all know the Eagles are going to be a bad football team. This is not a good roster. This is a this is a roster that is uh, that is one of the probably in the bottom 5 to bottom 7 rosters in the NFL heading into the draft. So, no one's expecting this team to go 9 and 7 next year. It's not going to be a disappointment if they finished 5 and 11 or or 4 and 12. Because that's what that's the roster that they have. And so this is not a roster that's going to get fixed in one draft. And if if Jeffrey Lurie is going to keep Howie Roseman around as the guy making all the decisions, and and I don't feel like that was the right decision. Obviously, we all most of us listening wanted a change, wanted Jeff Lurie to do something different to move in another direction, because Jeff because Howie Roseman has not had a good track record in, in watching what's happened to this team over the last few years. We all recognize that, but the fact remains, Jeff Lurie brought him back. And I don't think he brought Howie Roseman back to fire him after one season next year. I don't think we're going to be looking at replacing the general manager next offseason, no matter how bad the Eagles are. I mean, maybe they go 0-16, you're talking about something. And maybe if the first round and second round selections are so egregious and so off the board and so disastrous that it really forces Jeffrey Lurie's hand, but I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. So when Howie Roseman makes this deal, yes, when you just look at this draft, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you tank that game against Washington in the final week of the season last year so that you can finish behind your division rivals, so that you can pick in front of them, and then you give that positioning away by making that trade with the Dolphins, but you pick up a first-round draft pick next year, and that's a deal Howie Roseman just felt like he couldn't turn down. That's a draft pick. It's a move he just couldn't resist picking up a first rounder to move down six spots and you're still picking number 12 in the draft. There still should be a good player here. I'm going to do my mock draft in just a minute. There still should be a good player. Now, is it going to be a generational talent like a Kyle Pitts? Probably not. Is it going to be a generational talent? Like one of the quarterbacks that are there. Is it going to be a generational talent like Jamar chase? No, it's not. It's not going to be one of those type of guys, but it should be a guy that is a highly productive player. It should be a guy that's going to make this team better. And so no matter what, you know, no matter what anybody says, The move down made some sense, and what I would like to see is for them to trade one of their extra third-round picks to move up a little further in the first round of the draft and maybe leapfrog in front of Dallas and the New York Giants. But uh, we'll see if Howie Roseman does that. There have been all kinds of rumors about the Eagles possibly moving up, the Eagles possibly moving down, and uh, we will wait to see, obviously, what they do, and it probably won't happen until draft night. Now, if you're a betting man and you want to wager on who the Eagles will select with their first pick, Again, that could be at number twelve or a trade up or down. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook is offering the following odds on the twenty most likely options, ranked from the shortest odds to the longest, and they believe Patrick Sertan, the cornerback, is going to be is the is the uh, is the guy with the the, sh- the shortest odds at plus three hundred. They believe Patrick Sertan, the second, is going to be the Eagles' pick, or at least that's where the smart money is going. Now, in order for that to happen the Eagles are going to have to trade up. They're going to have to jump in front of the Dallas Cowboys because if Patrick Sertan is sitting there at number 10, he's going to Dallas. And with the Giants picking at number 11, he could also be gone at number 11. So I don't see any way Sertan makes it all the way to number 12. Now, the other two most likely players at plus 420 on the board are both guys that many if not most people think will still be there at number 12 the Eagles probably would not have to move in order to land wide receiver Devontae Smith or wide receiver Jalen Waddell same goes for cornerback JC Horn at plus 550 linebacker Micah Parsons also there at plus 750 I I I think Micah Parsons as you'll hear in a second might go a little earlier than that but uh, he's a lot of he's a player a lot of folks are are mocking to the Eagles and have you people not seen Howie Roseman draft over this last decade? He's not drafting a linebacker in the first round, folks. That's just not happening. Rashawn Slater, offensive lineman, is at plus 1,000 with Kudipe, uh, defensive end at plus 1,100. That's a sneaky. Here's the thing about pay. That's a sneaky. That, that's a, a sneaky pick right there. So are these two players that I'm about to mention right now. Elijah Vera Tucker and Christian Darasol. Two offensive tackles at plus 1,200. Both those guys will probably still be there at 12. And you'll hear in just a second with my mock draft... Who I think the Eagles are going to take, but all of those different guys are in play. And now here's some other folks that you might need to move around in order to go get. Caleb Farley, cornerback at plus 1,400, might move down for a guy like that. Panay Sewell at plus 1,400, offensive tackle. You probably have to move up in the draft to go get him. Uh, And then there's guys like Jalen Phillips, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, Kyle Pitts. Again, you have to jump way up to go get Kyle Pitts. That's at plus 4,300. Same as quarterback Trey Lance. I mean, so you're talking about some guys you're just not going to go up and, and get at that point. But Patrick Sertan is, mo- is the most likely draft pick for the Eagles at number 12, according to FanDuel Sportsbooks, And that's not smart money because I'm not, I'm not sure the Eagles are going to move up. I'm not sure they're going to go up and get, uh, the number nine pick or the number eight pick and go up and get Patrick Sertan. If they can stay where they are and draft Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle, or frankly, JC Horn. Sertan's the best cornerback in the draft. I don't know how far behind I have Horn horns, but def- horns. Definitely. Number two, um, But if they go with Smith or Waddle or Horn, you're getting a really good player. You're getting a really good player there at number 12. And I think those are definitely, I think, frankly, Smith and Waddle and Horn are more likely than Patrick Sertan. So it's kind of interesting that they have him as the shortest odds. So here is my 2021 completely uninformed mock draft taking you all the way through pick number 12. i'm not gonna read I'm not gonna run down every 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 selection through the the entire first round we'll just do through when the eagles pick. and i know there there'll be other folks who are making long mock drafts and doing eagles only mock drafts but kind of wanted to get a sense for how i feel the the first round going leading up to the eagles pick and i don't like mock drafts where they put trades in them. So I don't have anybody moving up or down in in my mock draft. I just think it's impossible to predict who's going to make a trade, who's going to move all over the place. And when you do that, it it throws the entire mock draft out of whack, and you can't compare it to other mocks. So I like mock drafts where they're not making trades for teams, and so I did not invent any additional trades, although I do think some of these teams could be looking to move around. So, number one, these first few are not going to be a surprise. Jacksonville is going to take Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson. Pretty much the consensus, guy, the consensus that this guy is the best QB in the draft. Jacksonville shouldn't need any more than five seconds to hand in the card. They've probably already turned the card in. So, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. At number two, the New York Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. Quarterback of BYU. That's where I think uh, they're going to go with their pick. They're obviously taking a quarterback as the Sam Darnold era is mercifully over there in New York. But I think they're going to go with Zach Wilson, uh, the big quarterback out of BYU. Now San Francisco moved up to number three so that they could take their franchise quarterback. They obviously do not care for Jimmy Garoppolo as their main guy. And so I have them taking Mac Jones, quarterback quarterback, from Alabama, and a quarterback from Alabama is always a its a tricky thing because there really haven't been very many good quarterbacks from Alabama. The history of Alabama starting quarterbacks in the NFL isn't the best, so for San Francisco's sake, here's hoping that Jones reverses that trend. And then I have another quarterback being being taken. Number four, the Atlanta Falcons, I have them taking Trey Lance from North Dakota State, and here's a trivia question for you. The last quarterback from North Dakota State to be drafted in the top five of the NFL draft? Carson Wentz. Now you know. I like to pass on trivia to folks. Number five, the first non-quarterback taken will be Jamar Chase. Wide receiver of LSU by the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, the Bengals could also use help on the offensive line, and uh, Panay Sewell is the best in the class, and you could see him going to Cincinnati here, but I think this is a great chance for the Cincinnati Bengals to get Joe, Joe Burrow some more help at the receiver position, and that would make that offense dangerous. Um, that'd be a, a pretty potent offense uh, if Cincinnati can can pull that off. And so I think they'll have their pick of position players and I'll th- I think they'll take Jamar Chase, a wide receiver from LSU at number five overall. That brings us the Miami Dolphins at number six where the Eagles would have been drafting. And I have them going with tight end Kyle Pitts. Yes, the Dolphins need receiver help, but with Chase off the board, Really, it would make more sense for them to move down a little bit in order to go get Devontae Smith uh, or Jalen Waddle. And I don't, I don't see them. I know there's been a lot of rumors about the Miami Dolphins potentially moving down in the draft again. I don't really see that happening. Instead, I see them going out and they could go after they they could go after an offensive tackle here. Sewell is still on the board. They could go after him, but uh, I think the Dolphins need a lot of receiver help. And with Chase off the board, they're going to add the most dynamic tight end prospect we've seen in quite a little while. And so I think the Miami Dolphins will grab Florida tight end Kyle Pitts at number six overall with the Eagles' former pick. Number seven overall, the Detroit Lions. I think here is where we'll see Sewell get taken, offensive tackle from Oregon. Now, they could go with Justin Fields here if they don't fully believe in Jared Goff. You've also got Waddle and Smith both here at wideout, but again, I think that uh, this is a spot where, if the Lions do want to go look at wide receiver, this is a spot to trade down. You could be looking at number seven as a trade-up opportunity for a lot of different teams. There's a lot of people mocking the Lions trading out of this spot, but I have the Lions staying at number seven, and I, I'm giving them the best offensive tackle in this draft in order to help out Jared Goff. Uh, it, it, I, I think it's gonna. I think it makes more sense. For them to go that direction than it is to to go with Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith if they are sticking at number seven. But again, I think this is a spot where the Lions could move down. Another team where we've heard a lot about uh, them talking about moving down is the Carolina Panthers. And I have them taking Justin Fields, quarterback from Ohio State here. And and Fields is obviously one of the most fascinating picks in this draft. There have been so many different opinions and points of view about him. Is he limited in his reads? Is he not? Does he have the desire to put in the work needed to, to be a great quarterback? Is that all just hot air? There's been a lot of controversy surrounding Justin Fields, the fifth quarterback taken here in this draft. Falling at number eight to the quarterback needy Panthers, I think, I think Carolina would jump at the chance to take a shot on him here and give Matt Rule his franchise quarterback. And I think this is a, I think it's a great landing spot for Justin Fields if Carolina finds themselves with the opportunity to take him. So I have Justin Fields going to the Panthers here at number eight. All right, just four picks away from your Philadelphia Eagles. And at number nine, I have the Denver Broncos taking linebacker Micah Parsons from Penn State. I know Parsons has been falling down the draft board a little bit here in recent weeks. But, um, you know, I think the Broncos will be upset if they're one pick away from snagging fields. And this is where maybe the Broncos trade up. I had been talking about maybe the Broncos trading out of number nine. If they miss out on their quarterback fields, I could easily see Denver trading down. And this would be the spot for the Eagles to jump up and get in front of Dallas and New York and take this pick right here. And I don't think the Eagles would take Parsons. I think the Broncos would be happy to take Parsons here, which brings us to the Dallas Cowboys at number 10. And I have the Dallas Cowboys, ten. and I think this is as sure a pick as you're going to find in this draft If the Cowboys are picking at number 10, and he's still available, Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama, is going to Dallas. They desperately need help in the secondary, just like the Eagles do. And here I think they grab the best cornerback prospect left on the board, which takes you to the New York Giants at number 11. And this is a guy that I would love to see fall to the Eagles if if he happens to fall that far. But if not, I think Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern, goes right here. Yes, both Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are still here, but I feel like the Giants are pretty set at wide receiver. So while you ge- you generally want to take the best player available and not draft for position of need, getting a left tackle here in order to move Andrew Thomas over to the right side of the line where he's more comfortable, I just think makes a lot of sense if you really want to give Daniel Jones the opportunity to win that job. And, and the Giants have really made an effort to, you know, going out and signing Kenny Galladay, to go out and improve the offense. There's a lot of talent at the skill positions. If you can stabilize the offensive line and not have Daniel Jones worry about getting sacked and fumbling, then you may really have something here. And Rashawn Slater seems like a perfect pick here for the New York Giants at number eleven, which takes us to the Philadelphia Eagles at number twelve. And I, I've really gone back and forth on this pick, and I, I've gone, I, I've approached this pick from a very cynical place in in some respects because. I have zero confidence that Howie Roseman is going to make the right choice. Now, there's a new coaching staff in place, and maybe the pressure is on Howie Roseman to do things a little bit more by the book. These last few drafts, there have been some arrogant selections, no doubt about it. Um, Andre, you know, I I think when you went up and, and traded up for Andre Diller, they didn't do their homework on the kind of player that Andre Diller is off the field, and um, I think, you know, the, the issues with toughness uh, that I don't think they really fully investigated. And then J.J. Um, a White side. Uh, in the second round and then last year's draft obviously Jalen Rager there's still there's still time for Jalen Rager to figure it out but he certainly does not it certainly looks like a, a missed opportunity with Justin Jefferson playing as well as he did in Minnesota and not trading up to get C.D. Lamb and then Jalen Hurts who they they who like, we're going to talk about this in just a second but guy they spent a second round pick on last year second round pick on last year that they're still not sure is going to be their 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 starting quarterback next year I mean, in 2021, even though you know we're going to talk about Jalen Hurts in just a second and get a little bit more into that, but you know it might be another season here where Jalen Hurts goes back to being your backup quarterback, in which case you've spent a second-round pick on a team where you desperately need every single high pick you can get on a productive player, and he becomes a guy who never sees the field again. So you you just can't you can't keep doing this year in and year out. But Howie Roseman has been doing unorthodox, unconventional, galaxy brain draft picks over these last few years. And I'm, I'm not convinced that's going to stop this year. And eight out of the last 10 drafts, and, and Brandon Lee Gotton has mentioned this uh, both on ForBleedingGreenNation.com and on the different podcasts, they've taken a lineman in the first round, eight out of the last 10 years. The only drafts in which they did not take a lineman, offensive or defensive, in the first round was Carson Wentz and last year with Jalen Rager. Every other year, they have built through the trenches. They've built through the offensive and defensive lines. And initially, I had this team going offensive line with the number 12 overall pick. And as I sit here recording this, I'm still not sure who I think they're going to take. I'm still not sure who I'm going to mock to them here at number 12. So let's let's just talk this out a little bit. The offensive line is aging, right? You've you've got, aside from left tackle, in which you have two young guys, Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard, likely to battle it out in training camp. You know, Isaac Samalo is, uh, he's not older, and so he's he's got some years in front of him. But Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson... Uh, are both are both getting up there Brandon Brooks is is obviously getting older and has been a, a constant injury uh, concern they need some reinforcements on the offensive line some some good solid reinforcements on the offensive line and this would be a spot to take somebody like Elijah Vera Tucker offensive tackle from USC and most folks think he's going to end up playing on the inside at the NFL level he's not really going to be an offensive tackle but in my heart of hearts, initially, I had them taking Elijah Vera Tucker here, but here you've got obvious needs at wide receiver too. So Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith are both still on the board here. Both of those guys, we've heard, you know, you these guys have been talked about. Two Alabama wide receivers: Jalen Waddle's a little bigger, Devontae Smith, a very very light guy, very skinny guy. Um, both have their both have their negatives. Both have their positives. Devonte Smith looks like an amazing player. He was the best player on the field in the national championship game. Um, and on the latest uh, BGN Radio, uh, BLG and Jimmy Kemsky were talking him up. His his smarts are off the charts. Jalen Waddle's a bigger receiver. He can probably you probably you know don't have to worry about him quite so much getting jammed off the line like you would with Devonte Smith. But but both of those guys are not huge prototypical CD Lamb type wide receivers, Jamar Chase like wide receivers. And so there's a little risk involved with both Jalen Waddell and Devonte Smith. And this team has a lousy history of drafting wide receivers, especially in recent years, but really going back a long way. Really, it's been not since Fred Barnett and Calvin Williams as this team drafted, and, and Deshaun Jackson is one, is one of the few wide receivers they've drafted that has the early round wide receivers that have turned out to be uh, worth the pick that they were taken with. So you've got both of those guys. You've got J.C. Horn, who as the number two cornerback would be an excellent pick in this spot. And another offensive tackle this team could could take in this spot is Christian Dariusol you know, from from Virginia Tech. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of good options here. Dariusol especially is a really good pass blocker, not so much in the run game. But you know, the Eagles aren't going to run the ball all that much when when Jeffrey Lurie is the the owner of this team as well. So, I mean, here here's another guy that that could go here at at number twelve. And I think. Really, you could go with a number of needs here. I, I think we're underestimating the needs of the offensive line, but also you also have to look at you know Brandon Brooks and, and Lane Johnson. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. And Isaac Ciamalo, you know, he'll eventually most likely be the center for this team when Jason Kelsey retires, which is probably going to be after this year. And so you're going to need to get yourself another guard, but you can get an offensive guard somewhere else in the draft, right? So while... I, I think this team needs to look at wide receiver or cornerback here, and I, I know that I'm not alone in thinking that. Which, of course, means Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith um, or J. C. Horn. Th- those are the three most likely guys. These the, the, they would fill the most likely areas of need for this team at this point, which is which is why there's a big part of me that wants to mock Darius to the Eagles in this spot. It just it feels like it feels like that's exactly the kind of You know, nobody's talking about the Eagles taking an offensive lineman here, and that would be the the off the board, wild and crazy type pick that Howie Roseman would make that would shock everybody. Because you could just see if this board falls the way that I have it falling, they have their pick of Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, or J.C. Horn. Wide receiver, wide receiver, cornerback. And you're just going to hear everybody talking about, you know, okay, now the Eagles have their choice. They can pick, you know, and, and you'll see the comparisons between Waddle and Smith. Who they, who do they choose between these two guys? Or, you know, J.C. Horn is still sitting there. Again, not as good as Patrick Sertan, but um, still a, a true first-round cornerback something this team desperately needs they desperately need somebody else on the other side of the field uh from from Darius Slay and so while I think the Eagles I I, I'm just torn I don't know who the Eagles are going to take here knowing Howie Roseman's draft history and you know what I'm going to keep this simple I was going to draft Christian Darisol. I was going to give I was going to give that's not who I would want to take but I I was thinking that's who they're going to take I think Howie Roseman is reading the writing on the wall. I think he's, and I think he's seeing that maybe he needs to stop overthinking things. And the other thing to consider too here is you've got a you've got a new head coach, in Nick Sirianni, who is obsessed with wide receivers. Right, this guy is absolutely obsessed with wide receivers. He. He loves talking about wide receivers. He, he used to coach wide receivers. He's he's a wide receivers guy. My guess is Nick Sirianni is going to be pushing for one of these two wide receivers, Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith. So I, maybe I was going to galaxy brain my mock draft by giving them Christian Darasol. I think I will I will make it official. I will mock Devonte Smith to the Eagles at number 12. My level of confidence that this actually happens is at about 10%. Okay? I think... I think the odds are I think the odds are very, very good that the Eagles will go with an offensive lineman here. Um I, I just, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't make anybody feel good. And maybe that's why. You know, we're just we're so down on this team and the Eagles have just and Howie Roseman has done one thing after another that has just made you feel like this is it's not gonna work. He's gonna make the wrong decision each and every time. But let's not let's not do this mock draft with that negative of an attitude. I'm going to give the Eagles Devonte Smith here at number 12 in the draft, and that is the right pick. That's the pick Howie Roseman should make. I still there's a big part of me that thinks they're going to take an offensive lineman here at number 12, even even if Waddle and Smith and JC Horn, are all there. But we'll see what happens in less than a week uh, when the NFL draft begins uh, next Thursday evening. When we come back, some some quick thoughts about the Nick Sirianni uh, news conference. We're calling it the Nick Sirianni news conference, but obviously this is a Howie Roseman, Andy White, Nick Sirianni news conference uh, with their pre-draft thoughts on Zoom and um, some of the controversy or some of the, the conversation that has taken place since that happened. I'll give you my thoughts on that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So the Nick Sirianni News Conference, everybody. I, I know that um, so far, Nick Sirianni has been a a lightning rod of criticism. And I get it. I, I truly get it. There's really nothing the Eagles can do right now that's going to make anyone feel good about anything. There, there's nothing that Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie is going to do that makes you feel good about any decision that they make, right? We, we, I I just, it's just, it's, it's, we're negative. We are in a, we're in a very, very negative place with this football team. And for a very good reason, they have been making, they have continuously made one bad decision after another. So when Nick Sirianni holds a news conference and, and he gets up there and he starts he starts talking like a hyperactive six-year-old jacked up on Kool-Aid and swizzle sticks. It's, cause, it, it, it's kind of an immediate visceral cause for concern reaction, right? Because he doesn't look and doesn't talk like a typical head coach would talk. He's, he's not, it's not what we have become accustomed to. With all those years of Andy Reid and even even Chip Kelly, who was who had a personality, but he was it was all coach speak, you know. I mean, he wasn't wasn't like this. Uh, Doug Peterson certainly wasn't like this. Nick Sirianni was was hyperactive and enthusiastic, and that's how that's how we've seen him in each of his different news conferences. And you know, it's I'm not sure that I would be able to deal with that kind of energy all the time. I mean, you could hook up a car battery to Siriani and get him to run get him to run your car from 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 the end of one block to another all right the man has no setting lower than 11 it's everything's to 11 and that's fine for now right you know he's not a seasoned grizzled veteran head coach and yeah he's taking and and the the comment that he made that has really opened a lot of eyes from the news conference was the paper the rock paper scissors stuff right where, where he was talking about how they're able to judge a potential draftees level of competitiveness when they have to do so many virtual meetings and he said one of the things we do is our coaches have done is they've tried had to get creative and you know one of the things that they've done is play rock paper scissors with these guys and see how competitive they are and you know if they're losing rock paper scissors you know how competitive do they get and, you know, let's let's play that cut for you just so you can hear the whole cut in its proper
4: context. And I'll tell you, I think some of you guys are wondering, like, what game? We didn't go earth-shattering on these games, right? I played a couple of them at Rock, Paper, Scissors, right? <laughs> that was as easy as that. Rock, Paper, Scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to them. Did you talk trash back to me? Right? Um, Jeopardy. There's different ways to do it. It looks a lot of different ways. But our coaches got so creative with this, like... Jeff Stoutland, uh, Brian Johnson, like they they did just such – Aaron Moorhead, they all did a great job, right? Uh, Tracy Rocker, Jeremiah Washburn, they all did a great job of just figuring out how to compete because everyone's compete looks a little different. Like if I I get up there, I play them rock, paper, scissors, they got a little more creative than I did at times. So it was awesome, though, because it did anything you compete at. When you compete with somebody that's competitive, they're going to go at you no matter what, no matter what game you're playing.
1: So, so again, th- yes. Th- that sound you hear is my is my is my eyes rolling and scraping the top of my head as they do so. You know, is is it kind of dumb and silly to challenge draftees to games of rock paper scissors to judge their competitiveness on a Zoom call? Yes, I think it is. And and the comment itself was a little cringe worthy, especially because it again sounds like he's just some some hyperactive little kid. And it doesn't really give you a ton of confidence that he knows what he's doing. But it's, it's also important to understand that these coaches are trying to figure out as much as they can about these players virtually without actually getting to meet a lot of these kids face to face. And so I don't think this is really that big a deal. It's, it's just a little, it's a little annoying, it's a, it's a little unsettling, but it's not a deal-breaker for Sirianni. And frankly, Philadelphia is a city that wears its heart on its sleeve, that is emotional. And if this guy is popular, he's going re, to remind, I mean, if this guy is, is successful, if he wins football games, he's going to remind you of Vermeil and he's going to remind you of John Gruden. Because that's what he sounds like. He sounds like Gruden. I mean, he sounds so much like Gruden when you listen to him. I will say this about the rock, paper, scissors thing. If they are using rock, paper, scissors to in any way make a decision about who they're going to draft, they, they need to have these decisions taken away from them. They, they need to be hit on the head with a tack hammer because that's a stupid thing. If, like, it shouldn't even factor into it. Like, if you if you got me on Zoom, and I'm not a professional, I'm not a wannabe professional athlete, but if, I, if you got me on Zoom and told me, to play rock, paper, scissors, and I lose, okay. Like, I'm not losing my mind about that. And I think you can still be hyper-competitive and compartmentalize, you know? You know, it, you don't, the, it, the people who drive, there are people who drive me crazy, and, and it sounds like Nick Sirianni is, is one of these types of people, where if you're playing a game of cornhole out back at a barbecue, he won't stop playing. He won't let you stop playing until he wins, Right, he's got to win every game. He's got to win every game of Cornhole. Or he's, he's got to win every game of Uno. You know, you sit down to play Uno. He's not going to, we're not going to stop playing Uno. Because I got to, you know, I, I, I got to win. I'm going to be, and I'm going to trash talk you while we're playing Cornhole. Like, there, there's got to be, and, and a lot of athletes are successful that way. And that's fine if you're that way. And maybe in the athletic world, that's fine. I think that kind of thing drives people crazy. And I don't think that's necessarily a good personality trait. I'm not so sure you need that from a potential draftee in order, in order to pick them up. So I think one of the things we're dealing with here is with Nick Sirianni's first impressions are really hard to shake, right? I mean, just ask for Phillies manager Gabe Kapler, who was booed at the home opener in 2018 before his team ever took the field. Now, it's important to note that he was not booed because of anything he said or because of anything he did or the way he looked. Although those things, certainly Philadelphia fans were looking at him a little bit with a side look right from the start. But it was because of what he did on the field that resulted in him getting booed. Because Doug Peterson and Charlie Manuel also came across as buffoonish before they actually went out on the field and proved that they knew what they were doing. So Sirianni's run-through-a-brick-wall mantra, his mania, as some would would call it, I think it'll work if his team wins, but he's, he's, he'll likely learn that there needs to be another setting to his personality. Like, I don't think veteran players are going to go for the all in all the time stuff, unless it produces results. And I do, I do agree with people who say that you just, as long as he's genuine, that's the most important thing. Like players see fake a mile away and don't respond to fake. I do get that. But I also feel like if you're real and real annoying, that players will tune you out just as quickly and i think that's the danger in Sirianni's hyper competitiveness that it could wear on his players and, and just and wear them out but like so far we've only seen this new head coach in one color thus far highly energetic kinetic and buzzy i i just think he's just like a constant a constant flurry of emotion like he he does he reminds me of my oldest son who's when he's when he's watching television my oldest son cannot sit still and watch television you know, when he watches his shows, he's jumping around all over the room, and, and this could be like if we're watching something slow, like a Curious George or something. That's not a show like Transformers, where you're where you're shooting where you're shooting things up. He's hopping all around the room, jumping all over the place. I mean, he's just he's just it's just that's just his way. He's energetic, kinetic. That's just how little kids are. They're just they, they've got their, their their insides are just bubbling at all times. And that's kind of how Nick Siriani comes across. And maybe that's why it doesn't he hasn't inspired a lot of confidence in the fan base is because maybe he comes across as as childlike. But I'm going to hold my powder on that until we see the team play some football games. And I do want to play one other clip from this news conference that I thought was really interesting where he was talking about how he evaluates potential uh, college wide receivers and how they might do at the big league level. L- listen to this. I thought this is very
4: interesting. They got to get used to catching the ball in traffic and catching the ball with bodies around them. Usually, there's no bodies around them, right? They get open so much that they're right here and there's no bodies around them, right? And so now, they're catching the ball here. Boom! The ball's getting trying to get smacked out of their hands. I, sh- I shook the camera or shook the thing a little bit. I'm sorry. All right, but I'm excited. <laughs> We're talking about wideouts. So it's just a different game. And so it's... It's finding, the. it's trying to see how you're going to get him the football early on, right? Because we've had, in my past, we've had some receivers that had some success early on because we, we, we made it an effort to say, hey, he might not be able to win at this yet, but he can win at this.
1: So here you go with Nick Sirianni talking about, I think very intelligently, talking about how, you know, these wide receivers in college, they're not used to getting jammed off the line. And more importantly, they're not used to making catches in traffic. They're They're not used to catching a ball over the middle and then immediately having their arms smacked at so that they have to hold on to the football, right? Those are, that's an important thing that you have to understand is like, this is a different game. And we're seeing this over these last couple of years with Jalen Rager and with JJ Ortega-Whiteside, that it's a different game playing in the NFL. You've got faster defensive linemen, faster defensive backs, linebackers, they're going to make it hard on you. And so I thought that was an intelligent thing. and, And that gets lost in some of the delivery So I think what I would encourage everyone listening, if you have a problem with the way Nick Sirianni kind of um, presents himself, it may go it may change. It may go away. And winning on the field will make it charming and not annoying. It'll make it endearing and not worrisome. And we really aren't going to know that really until 2022, because Nick Sirianni is not going to win a lot of football games here in 2021. It just could, you know, it's it's a very interesting situation. Nick Sirianni has been tainted by the failures of, of Howie Roseman and this team over the last three years, probably a little bit unfairly. And I don't think you can judge him with the rock, paper, scissors quote. That's all I'm going to say. And we'll see how Nick Sirianni actually does once he gets his players on the field. Alright folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Don't forget, as we are counting down the hours until the NFL Draft, BleedingGreenNation.com is your place for the latest news, rumors, and notes on what's going on. We'll give you the roundup on all the mock drafts going on out there so you can see where the industry has the Eagles uh, heading uh, with the number 12 pick and uh, again, we'll see if the Eagles are are going to stick at number 12, move up, move down. Who knows what Howie Roseman is going to do uh, with this pick and don't forget to check out all of the Bleeding GreenNation.com uh, podcasts that we have for you here. We are going to be deep diving into this NFL draft with all of the different shows that we have over this next week. So make sure you stick around for all of the previews and, uh, all of the post-draft analysis. That'll be sure to come your way here on the bleeding green nation podcast feed. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on eye on the enemy.
0: Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people.